0: what's good what's going on welcome back to another episode of the hog Haven podcast powered by sb nation you can find us at Hogshaven.com, at Haven on twitter and on facebook i am your host molly Maul. jamal force you can find me on twitter at let Ma tell it do not forget the you on the show today This is the After Further Review Show, you know, we're we're going to dive into and close the book on Philadelphia and Washington, uh, give our final grades on some of the players and some of the coaching staff and things like that. As we transition to week four against the Dallas Cowboys, uh, we'll do that, give our grades right quick, but also we have Craig Hoffman joining the show. Uh, For those who are unfamiliar with Craig, Craig is the host of the Craig Hoffman Show on the Team 980. On weekday afternoons, he also is the pregame host on the Commanders game day over on 106.7, the fan. And he is also the host of one of my favorite Commanders podcasts, Take Command Podcast, where they dive into nothing but X's and O's. And that is the lane that I chose as well. I love it. Um, (laughs) I really do. Uh, But yeah, I'm looking forward to speaking with Craig. We'll talk to him in a second. And get his perspective on the commanders three games into the season. And obviously, you know, the status and situation of, of Ron Rivera and, 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 and his leadership tenure to this point. Uh, we'll kind of get a, a a viewpoint of, of what Craig feels about this team. So, uh, before we get into the grades and stuff like that, if you find yourself with some spare time today, make sure you hit that subscribe button on Apple or Spotify, whichever way you are listening. Uh, and also, if you don't mind, help us out with that rating. Help us out with a review. Uh, we we definitely appreciate it. Uh, nonetheless, we do appreciate you listening, regardless. Uh, with all that being said, let's go ahead and tap into my final thoughts on this game. And to be honest with you all, my, my I think nothing much has changed in terms of like my my viewpoint from a macro perspective. I think this is a game against the Dallas Cowboys. That you cannot afford to lose, regardless. Of the, the 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 steep hill that you you're you're up against, you can't afford to go one and three. You can't afford to start your NFC East campaign in 2022 0 two in your division. You can't allow that to happen. And I think what's going to really hurt Washington is the fact that you know some of the struggles that they're having. Um, it's terrible timing. You can't in a defense that actually played well and showed up against the, the Philadelphia Eagles for the most part. Um, the strength or perceived strength on this team based on how the first two weeks went, it like those duds and those lapses, those major lapses in in games in which, and to be honest with you, it happened against the, the Jacksonville Jaguars too, right? You know, they went two quarters, maybe two and a half quarters, in which they were shut out against the Jaguars. They went two quarters in which they were shut out against the Detroit Lions. And then they went three quarters in which they were shut out against three and a half quarters, to be honest with you, which they were shut out against the Eagles, like, it has progressively gotten bad on that side of the football. And for Washington, they have to find a way to turn things around. And, again, like I said, my, my viewpoint on, like, a macro viewpoint hasn't changed, man. Rivera has to find a way to get this together. Um, you can't afford to lose your fan base once again this, this early into the season. You're only in week three. And the business side has done, to be honest with you, uh, an excellent job in terms of trying to, like, sell this product on social media. It has effectively worked. I'm on Twitter all the time. I know how it's worked. Um, they've even done a good job in my opinion uh, trying to convince me to come to the games <laughs> and uh, support this team from that standpoint. I'm gonna watch them regardless and but but the, the wavering issue is, is not the fact that people are or are not going to the games. Um, it's more about actually staying focused and in tune from a week to week basis for sixty minutes on the field, three hours in real time, um, but sixty minutes on the field and and actually having people invested from an emotional standpoint and and an optimism standpoint that they can go out there and beat anybody. That's that's the issue that they're facing. You can't afford to go one and three, and you cannot afford a poor start if you're Ron Rivera to this start to to this season and um pres- perceivably again. He talked about how much of a layup this first quarter of the season should have been for Washington in terms of getting off to a good start. Um, And you're staring one and three down the barrel. um, And that's unfortunate for for Rivera and staff. So they have to find a way to turn things around. Um, As we look into the Philadelphia game for Washington, obviously the biggest thing was that offense, right? And uh, if we go down the line with final grades, uh, Scott Turner – uh, I'm going to have to give him a C, a strong C. Uh, so let's just say C plus for my final grade for Scott Turner. Uh, I think a lot, if you look at the film against the Philadelphia Eagles, I think what really hurts Turner is obviously a level of being predictable. And like it, it showed itself in in terms of how Philadelphia was prepared for certain concepts. Like the Philadelphia Eagles were prepared for the mesh routes that he ran out of an abundance and or so it seemed early on in that first half Philadelphia played it well from their middle linebacker being able to close the space between uh the the first level crosser and the second level crosser uh forcing the issue from uh taking away those crossing routes for Carson Wentz and and enforcing him to hold on to the ball a little bit sooner uh, confusing Jahan Dotson in terms of stepping up on that that first crosser and and trying to freeze Dotson in terms of his his ability uh to to figure out his assignment and, and pick that middle linebacker and, and free Terry McLaurin. Um coverage wise they rotated late um had very good late rotations specifically that confused Carson Wentz from a pre-snap processing standpoint, confusing him in terms of what is his looks and what his first look should be uh, in a certain coverage and, and how, how it dictates where his eyes should go, right? Um so those are those are other instances in which you know it's not necessarily a Turner thing, but when it comes to Turner, it's like how do you adjust from that? A lot of people are saying you should have ran the ball. I was one of those people, right um, but if you look at how they were run blocking in terms of the offensive line in the first half, uh, you had issues up front. The interior offensive line gained had issues as well. if you again, look at the tape the the best runs that Washington had were when they were facing. Somewhat of a, a soft coverage, like they were facing long down the distance situations in which Philly could afford to give up uh, a, a five plus yard run or a six plus yard run. But even in within like a reasonable distance, right, you have that um, uh, five yard gain or that six yard gain, or something like that. Uh, running backs did a lot of the work. That interior line wasn't getting the proper push. That offensive line did a lot of the... I mean, excuse me, that running back did a lot of the work. Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, Jonathan Williams on one of his biggest runs. Like, they they made those yards for that offensive line. And for, for a person like me who is sitting here saying that uh, they should have ran the ball more, um, sure, I think that they could have ran the ball more, but ultimately... That offensive line was struggling and pass protection and as a run blocker, as run blocking. Trey Turner, the right guard. Um, you know, he struggled with his reach blocks on occasion. Uh, they struggled against power the entire day for the most part. Um and, and sometimes with combination blocks or or true double teams, they weren't on the same page from the interior. And and chemistry is 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 what highlights situations like that, right? I mean, obviously it's deeper, but You know, chemistry highlights those situations in terms of how do you want to help your teammate to the left of you or to the right of you if you're the interior. Um, And and that's kind of what gets in the way you don't truly know what their chemistry is like. But ultimately, what you do know is that uh, these guys are on the same page from an execution standpoint and from uh, working together, but also from an individual standpoint, right? So when you're asking about if Scott Turner should go back to the run game, I think, they were struggling in both facets, but Scott Turner did dial up some situations for this offense to be successful in some situations. Um, like for example, you have ways in which you isolated Jahan Dotson and uh Terry McLaurin in certain situations, right? Uh, and we'll get into this part with the the greed with uh Carson Wentz as well. Uh, and, and Carson Wentz struggled on a number of throws whether it's anticipation throws whether it's touch throws and whether it's just truly poor accuracy slash mechanics um the anticipation throws you had a a third and 10 situation early in the game where uh Jahan is running a deep corner route and he it's a massive overthrow um you have a I think a cover six situation but the way in which Jahan Dotson and, and Logan Thomas is running, which they're on the right side of the offense. Uh, these guys are um, essentially unco- becoming uncovered. Uh, you have a crosser underneath of Logan Thomas. Uh, you have a deep out from Logan, and you have a, a corner out from Jahan. And Carson Wentz um, reads it right in terms of being able to anticipate uh, what's going to happen. Jahan out leverages the, the cornerback. Uh, he's able to cross. And, and, and went towards the sideline. He has a good route. Uh, Carson Wentz sees it, throws it, but he overthrows him. Like, out of bounds. He doesn't even give it a chance to make a play. Not even the cornerback can make a play, not even the receiver, but Jahan Dawson is open on the sideline. Uh, it's a hard throw to make, but ultimately he, he makes he makes it. His receiver is open, but he, he's not able to connect. I mean, he's not even close to connecting. Um, your touch throws, a situation where you have Curtis Samuel, I mean, excuse me, Terry McLaurin on the sideline. Again, against a cover six, but... Terry McLaurin is playing on the, the, the cover two side of the defense. So essentially what that does and what it means is if you're running like that fly route or anything on the sideline, you have a honey hole and where, you know, it's a, essentially a sweet spot for your quarterback to hit between the cornerback and the safety. And Terry McLaurin wins on the sideline. However, uh what what really hurts Carson Wentz is his processing uh pro snap and also uh, his ability to have that touch throw like he he again a massive overthrow um and essentially doesn't even give Jahan I mean excuse me Terry McLaurin a chance however if he was able to look his safety off if he was able to to not stare down Terry McLaurin he may have had and of course we're talking about a better throw in the same vein right but from an actual execution standpoint and giving Terry a shot without having that safety be so close to the football um you know you have Carson Wentz have ability to look at look the safety off or buy some time to, to get that safety influenced and, and move towards the middle of the field, um, you'll have that opportunity for Terry. So he wasn't able to do that in terms of the the look off and and he stared down his guy. And if there was a better cornerback or a better safety who trusted his eyes in terms of uh where Carson Wentz was leading to, if that was a good ball because he stared down his guy, it probably would have been a turnover. So you got to have touch if you're going to do that, right? The, the the safety wasn't that good in terms of how he played it. Um but you got to have touch. But even in that same vein, while I understand the throw to Terry McLaurin in the first, and excuse me to be clear, this is the first half. Um you also on that same play, you'll see Jahan Dotson lined up in the slot and he completely misses him. Like Jahan Dotson wins almost instantly in the slot. And there's big play potential for either Terry or Jahan, but the easiest one for big play potential would have been who? Jahan Dotson. So he's he's missing some things, but also struggling with those touch throws against the Philadelphia Eagles. And then obviously the poor accuracy and mechanics that really hurt him as well. And I know the grade was supposed to be on Scott Turner, but I'm trying to paint the picture that, you know, the reason why Scott Turner wasn't a D, a C minus, a F, is because he did create opportunities for Carson Wentz while the game was still in reach, while the game was not in jeopardy, while it was still close. And it wasn't just about the fact that, you know, you had to run the ball more. I think that they couldn't, uh, well, they they were establishing some ground and the running backs were doing an excellent job. But that offensive line, I, I, I understand, like you have to, you can't just ignore, uh, you can't not play football because your offensive line isn't good, right? So I understand what they were trying to do in terms of, uh, dropping Carson back, but I think um, you can't account for several issues without that, or 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 that 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 comes into to factor. So, for example, when we talk about and let's move towards Carson Wentz. Like, what is my grade for Carson? Because I said C plus for for Scott Turner. Um, I'm I'm giving Carson a D. Um, I'm giving him a D, a solid D. Um, it was a rough game, and to be honest with you, the sacks didn't help, but when it comes to accuracy, poor throws, touch, um, and anticipation, again, the Eagles did a really good job disguising their coverages. But uh, would it would it, it shed a light to, and what also could possibly give a blueprint to further def- defenses, even like the Dallas Cowboys. Um, those late rotations really hurt Carson Wentz. I think, in some instances, early in the first half, it really confused him in terms of where he should go. Um, one of the instances that in which he took a sack was the third sack of the game. Um, if you look at the third sack, and it's on my Twitter too, by the way. If you all want to see it, or go to my YouTube Chopper Dive YouTube channel, you'll see it. Um, but the third sack of the game, uh, Wentz is facing the cover one. But what it looks like initially is when you have that two high shell, it presents either a cover four or a cover two uh play for you, and ultimately that confuses Carson Wentz because they they essentially rotate and show their coverage to a single high, cover one situation towards the the very snap. And uh, it it offsets where Carson Wentz is initially looking. So instead of looking at Terry McLaurin, who is isolated one-on-one on on the boundary side, who runs runs like a spot route, uh, he instead is looking to his right initially and then transitions to Terry. Uh, But also when he transitions to Terry, when he completes his drop, Terry is facing Darius Schley, who is playing off coverage and essentially is able to crash on the football in the moment in which Carson Wentz is getting ready to throw. So you see a pump fake because he's late to the he's late to the throw. Anytime you have that one on one situation with Terry McLaurin facing off coverage, uh, you have to understand what you're up against. You have to get that ball out. And Philadelphia did a good job disguising, but Carson Wentz wasn't able to pick up on the keys or anything. Um, and that's a Carson Wentz sack. It's a Carson Wentz sack. Um, so that's one situation. Uh, there was other situations like the fifth sack with Carson Wentz. Um, uh, there, there's instances where it could have been a situation where Carson Wentz got the ball out quicker or, uh, you have Armani Rogers sit on a drag route. So instead of, and, and when I mean sit on the drag route, instead of continuing your drag towards the other side of the field in which you're headed, sit in the middle of the field where the zone opens up. And, and what that does for you and what that does for Carson Wentz and what that does for the offensive line, it gives him an opportunity to get rid of the football. So if Armani Rodgers were to sit on that crosser instead of continuing going across field where he was ultimately covered, he got himself covered, um, you're probably talking about a sack avoided. You're probably talking about uh, the fumble not happening because Wentz is able to get the ball off quicker than what happened. Um, and, 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 so those are kind of like the nuances it's always, and, and people are talking about the offensive line and talking about Carson Wentz. I'm talking about Armani Rogers. Like there are several layers to pass protection. And even, uh, Logan Thomas, again, I'm just going to say Logan Thomas, Logan Paulson, who was part of the take command, uh, podcast with Craig Kaufman. Uh, you're talking about a guy who, uh, is, is talking about, you know, chip help. Like if you can if you can successfully chip some of these edge guys, that's a way in which Scott Turner can help. So like there's a nuanced conversation with these guys, with this team, and, and why this pass protection was so bad in that first half. Um so for me, Carson Wentz, he gets a D. Um accuracy was off, his processing uh was challenged, um, and he faced a, a team that he just really couldn't get right and he was never comfortable. And even still, like you're talking about situations, again, we're talking about sacks and we're talking about plays in which he had time that cover six shot, the honey hole, Um, also some Texas routes like that. They ran this Texas concept, drag drag in Texas behind it. So essentially like a drag concept with like a receiver or a tight split receiver or a tight end running across her. And you have your running back, Curtis Samuel, or uh, J.D. McKissick run an angled route towards the middle of the field like you're faking out and then you're breaking it back in towards the middle of the field. And uh, there was one instance in which it was covered uh, because they ran man coverage, and then, or excuse me, let me be clear, it was one instance in which J.D. McKissie won in man coverage, but that was the sixth sack of the game in the first half, and and Hassan Riddick makes an excellent play, uh, which which probably would have been a big play for Washington. um, On third and long, it could have went for easily 20 in, in a first down, but, you know, he fumbles, right, but he made the right route or made the right read, but then you come back to the Texas in drag combo, and... Carson Wentz, as a result of all of the pressure that he was facing, in the, and in the third quarter, he he dumps the ball out way too quickly, gives it to Curtis Samuel on a third and five, and Curtis Samuel gets four yards. But if you hold it just for a longer second, and understand that you're going up against a cover four defense where the flats are going to be available to you, when the flats are available to you, and you're running a drag Texas combo, was going to be open, that drag route. And if you waited just a second and a half where he had enough time in the pocket, you're able to uh, complete that. You're able to get that first down and, and, and plus some with Logan Thomas, who's running that drag. So for me, offensively, Carson Wentz, a D. Um, running backs, Gibson and, and, and the the whole running back crew, I'm giving them a B+. Plus. Uh, they fought hard. There wasn't a lot that was there for them in terms of what they were fighting for. But they, they did a good job accumulating yards. Receivers, um, Jahan Dotson. you don't want to see the drops that he had. Terry McLaurin, same thing. You don't want to see the drops that they had. But ultimately, um, I'm going to just give them a C, C for the day. Um, tight ends, uh, this is a culmination of receivers. I think what's, what's really hurting is Armani Rogers, um and Cole Turner. Uh, I think that they're the more uh, versatile guys in terms of being able to stretch a, a field. Whether it's from that inline position or big slot, cold Turner, I don't really expect him to be uh, with a hand in the dirt. I think he's going to be off ball. He's going to be your move guy, but ultimately, Logan Thomas isn't really creating that much separation at all. And um, while he's a good player at the catch point, you got to understand, you know, who he is. But even still, like outside of that, because that was my one thing. I think they have to find a way to incorporate Armani Rodgers and Cole turner downfield and what if. Like, Armani Rodgers is still struggling, like, in terms of, like, that zone recognition that I that I talked about on one of those sacks that Carson Wentz had. Maybe that's playing a part into why he's not able to go beyond 10 yards down the field right now. Uh, maybe that's the case. Who knows? Uh, but, you know, it's just something to, to take note of. And, and it's not just literally that one play, uh, just just in terms of being able to to recognize how to run a route or something like that. Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe that's what's slowing him up. Um and things like that, but overall, when it comes to like the the ability to separate, um, but also pass protection because John Bates was in pass protection a lot. I'm gonna give them a C as well. Um, nothing like average receivers, average today or Sunday. Tight ends, average. Offensive line, um, a, a, a D plus. <laughs> I'm gonna just give him a failing grade. Well, I mean D D is failing. I guess <laughs> you can't move on to the next grade or uh you can't move on to a to a sophomore from a freshman uh, with a D. So I'm gonna give them i a, a D. Um, I'm gonna give them a D, a solid D. Uh, this defensive line, or excuse me, offensive line for Washington and defensive line for for Philadelphia, man, they were charged up, and and for Washington who didn't match that intensity, you had interior offensive linemen struggling throughout the entire game with their leverage, struggling to be able to 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 protect against power, um, and and obviously the 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 tackles you don't want to see Cosme and 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 Charles Leno. Uh, get beat across or on the edge like that in, in the ways in which they did. Specifically, Sam Cosme, um, he got baptized in a sense. Um, he never really—I don't think he faced a guy outside of Joey Bosa, but he never really truly faced a guy like Brandon Graham, who was like that established veteran uh, with a ton of tricks against a, an inexperienced guy like Sam Cosme, right? Like that's the person that he was up against. <laughs> um, and obviously, you know, he had his issues against Hassan Reddick and. Um, Josh Sweat So they, they continuously had some problems with Leno and Cosme as well pass protecting. So that was a D. It was it was a bad performance. And uh yes, Carson Wentz could have helped him out on some occasions, some of the ones that I pointed out in particular. Uh, but ultimately uh you have to be able to give your guy at least a good three seconds and, and they weren't even getting that. He was getting hit at the top of his routes or at the top of his drops. One of the sacks, uh, I think in the second quarter, I mean the second one that happened. You know, A.G. Antonio Gibson was available in the flats, and it looked like Wentz was trying to target him. But Fletcher Cox walks Trey Turner back into the quarterback before he can even release the football. It's just a pure bull rush where, you know, Turner got turned inside out or outside in or whatever, and basically like a turnstile was able to give uh, Cox a path to the quarterback. And essentially he out leveraged him, had quick hands, was able to get inside his shoulder, um, inside his arms and and steer him. And and Trey Turner didn't trust himself. He didn't have a good base. Um, he wasn't able to sink and establish himself in the ground and, and really uh, hold up against that power uh, from Fletcher Cox. So um, there's instances all over in which, you know, sometimes that offensive line is as much as you want Armani Rogers, a receiver, or um, you want your quarterback to get rid of the ball quicker, or you want your receivers to, to settle in a zone void to help your quarterback out. Your offensive line got to get this guy a couple seconds to throw the football. Like Jesus Christ, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um. So yeah, and then Del Rio. I think this was the most prepared that they really were. I think that they really did a really good job. And again, if you look at the film, you see that Carson Wentz. Excuse me, not Carson Wentz. But if you if you're saying that Washington and you're continuing this this narrative that they struggle struggle against mobile quarterbacks, um, if you look at that tape, you can see how well prepared they were against Jalen Hurts uh, from a run game standpoint and actual, um preparation in terms of his versatility like the dual threat thing they they played their keys well they were very disciplined up front uh, there were some occasions like a shock of tony who got a little bit too far upfield and Jalen hurts was able to take advantage of that uh but the the coverage from the linebackers and the eyes from the linebackers were able to mitigate the rush uh from Jalen hurts it, it went from like a third and five to a fourth and one um, that Washington ultimately stood up um, turnover on downs in that situation in their own uh, red zone. But Chaka but Tony gave up the edge one time and and Jalen Hurts was able to escape. But overall, like, they were sound in terms of how they were prepared for um, Jalen Hurts. And, and mobile quarterbacks shouldn't be an issue. Like, anything that happens after this is truly just a, 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 a no-excuse situation for that defense. Like, they've shown that they can prepare against one of the better dual-threat quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, so how do you account for that? And they did really fine. Um, so Jack D'Oreal, I'm going to give him a B-plus for this game. I, I really am. Uh, but when it comes to everybody else, defensive line, I think that they played solid again. Same thing. Um, I think pass rush, we're going to have to dive into that a little bit deeper from a deeper conversation. But um, Jesus Christ, like Jonathan Allen, uh, wrecker and on occasions. Um, uh, uh, Deron Payne, he was solid. Uh, you have uh, Montez Sweat. You gotta, we gotta talk about him soon. Um, I don't know what he's going to be soon, but ultimately, uh, you're, you're going to start asking him to to become a, a better pass rusher on a consistent basis. Like Deron Payne is looking like he's improving, and uh, the conversation that he's forcing towards uh, the, mid, the as we approach the first quarter, the end of the first quarter of the season. Um, he's forcing a narrative that, hey, maybe I can stay in Washington. Maybe I can show these guys that, you know, I'm, I'm the one that y'all need to pay. Like, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. And I'm not about to jump to go on Deron Payne. I'm just very impressed with how he's playing right now. Defensive line, give them a B. Linebackers, um, I, I think I lean, I think I lean B plus or B. Like they were very solid throughout the day for the most part. But then the defensive backs um Kendall Fuller had himself a rough day I think what really hurts Kendall Fuller uh is the fact that you know he was sound in coverage for the most part but I think what hurts him is his ability to make plays like he's best when he has eyes on the quarterback but he's not going to be able to really make a ton of plays on the football when he has man eyes on the receiver and his back is towards the quarterback I mean and what that means is like how quickly can you turn your head around and make a play or can you find the football and, and or can you can you watch your receiver's eyes watch it like read your keys and, and make a play on the football similar to what Benjamin St. Juice, Juice Juice did and was very successful. So like both of them had really sound coverage for the most part. I think one of the bigger plays that people were really um, given Bobby McCain flack in a sense is, is actually, you know, a situation where Kendall Fuller could have played it better. Um, the, you know, the deep pass to Devontae Smith towards the, the end zone. Uh, you know, if his split was a little bit better, this is according to actually Ron Rivera, you know, he was a little bit too wide. And if he was a little bit further inside and, and maintained some leverage, you know, we're talking about a person who's in better position to make a play on the football. You got to see where Bobby McCain came from. Like Bobby McCain wasn't a single high guy. He sprinted from the opposite side of the football field to try and make a play on that football. He gave as much help as he could to uh, Kendall Fuller in that situation. Kendall Fuller has to make a play. And he wasn't able to do that because he was a little bit too far out in his alignment. Um, And that's what ultimately hurt him. But outside of that, in in man cover situations, they were very disciplined. They maintained their leverage for the most part. Obviously, uh, Wild Goose had some issues. He didn't really trust himself in space. But that's also a a guy with his first game of the season in a big spot. Um, And he wasn't able to really hold up that well. But defensive backs, I'm going to give them uh, a C-plus for the day. But yeah, that's it for me. And hopefully you all took a, a, a little understanding from, from this film breakdown, this audio version. <laughs> if you want a full full version as well, you can go to Chopper Dive YouTube channel. Um, And the film session is up right now as we speak. Uh, but up next uh, is the good man, Craig Hoffman. Um, and then that is it. You'll hear from us again on the game preview episode. So y'all take care. Up next, Craig Hoffman. And joining us right now is Craig Hoffman, Craig covers the commanders over on the team, 980 weekdays through the Craig Hoffman show. And then, you know, he's busy. I was just talking to him. He got, he's basically around six days out of the week, uh, Sunday on commanders game days with uh, his good man, Logan Paulson on one Oh six, seven, the fan. Um, and he's one of the hosts of my, my favorite commanders podcast, pure X's and O's. can't get, um, in enough of that essentially, but to take, take Command podcast. So I, I definitely appreciate you joining me today, Craig. Um, to start things off here, uh, let's go ahead and, and close the book on, on Philly and Washington and get your, your final takeaways from the matchup this past weekend. Uh, obviously, we know the, the glaring issue, and, and we probably spent a lot of time on that one, but uh, what what is your final takeaways from that matchup uh, this past weekend?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, you do a really fantastic work. Uh, become quickly one of my favorite followers on Twitter, so I'm happy to join you here Appreciate on the pod, man. But, I mean... It's just, I don't know, man. It, it's it's such a weird spot because as someone who was a former reporter and was in it every day, I was i I'm always someone who tries to pride myself on being very level-headed. Not, not, We're not at end of days. It's week three. We can't possibly be at end of days. But Sunday felt very emblematic of so many of the issues that are in this franchise. You had a defense that literally could not compete because of the talent level and an offense that does not seem to be close to maximizing its potential because of some I don't want to call them fatal flaws, but some serious flaws at offensive coordinator—a guy who can, has like clearly has the upside talent, uh, but on a consistency level doesn't put together game plans that seem optimal—and a quarterback uh, who is incredibly, you know, it's it's a roller coaster ride, which we knew, and um, an offensive line that that really is fine but is not good and i think the way you build teams in the nfl is lines out and you look at the other team across the way in philadelphia and how good their O line is and you're just going well if carson had that they could probably overcome some of the the coordinator issues and some of the the quarterback issues and, and that was kind of the thing that we landed on on our podcast that was so frustrating is you talk about the the protection issue that you guys spend a ton of time on it like it does, you don't get to nine without a lot of problems. (laughs) Like if just one of them is better, then you don't have nine sacks. And so it it felt like a systemic problems come to life game in a lot of ways. And I think that's why it feels so bad and feels so incredibly frustrating because so many of us saw these problems coming.
0: Yeah. And what's also contributing, like one of the things, and and I was just speaking on it prior to you coming through was like, there's layers with with not even, for me, I ain't even gonna lie to you. I, I didn't even care about the last three sacks, seven, eight, and nine in the second half, like Agreed. the first six were, were so problematic in terms of like the layers in which a problem happens and, and one of those sacks. Um, I felt that uh, it even got down to even Armani Rogers understanding like a, a zone void in, in that if you if you stop your route a little bit shorter instead of continuing on into a zone in which you 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 ultimately get yourself covered, you probably have an right. opportunity for for Carson Wentz to dump it off to you. So like it even goes beyond the offensive line and the help from the running backs. It goes to your receivers as well. It goes to sometimes your your uh your tight ends being able to protect. And and Craig, I think to what you're alluding to, like. We we look at this offense, and and Scott Turner and, and his sometimes inconsistency and, and and what's really growing and what's concerning is, this has if we look at it, this continued on all three weeks. It ain't it ain't just the last two weeks in the first half. Right. You had spots and opportunities in the Jaguars in which you go completely blank, you go missing for nearly two and a half quarters, and you wake up when you're trailing. And then against the Jackson, I mean the Detroit Lions, you start off 20, 22 nothing. Um, and then all of a sudden you wake up and I personally thought that that second half, the more you think about it, was probably more fool's gold because there should be no reason in which you're trailing that behind and then all of a sudden a spark plug happens. There's some some give and take on the defensive side of the football as well. Um, obviously, they don't want to allow as many points as they did Detroit Lions, but still like that's that's something in which you're, you're getting help from the defense, allowing them to chew up clock. And then it all culminates in a week three game against the Philadelphia Eagles, Craig, where you don't even score for three and a half quarters like it continues a negative trend from week one to week two to week three in which the problems grow from a a quarter standpoint into a whole half into three and a half quarters and you're hoping against the Dallas Cowboys that they can at least sustain something early on and give themselves some confidence
1: totally and to go back to like the detail element there's two of those sacks that if the backs get out earlier it's not a sack Like, and including the first one, um, which, you know, everyone's kind of thought that that is interesting because Logan and I have combined probably watched that play 30 times and on our podcast that came out, you know, as we're recording this on a Wednesday, like it came out this morning. I made a discovery that Logan was like actually maybe that wasn't mesh like maybe that was actually some meant to look like mesh and it was a screen and because Curtis Samuel's the back and he doesn't get out fast enough and it's like Carson's waiting 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 and you know he's it's like that is is so emblematic of all of the problems because the offensive line doesn't hold on long enough the back doesn't get out fast enough Carson doesn't realize those things are happening and make an adjustment and it's you know you don't really have another option and it looks like something that you do all the time and so the play calling element doesn't really help you out. And, and that's the kind of thing that's so frustrating in, in going back to like these finer points. And it also goes back to this, like, are they actually good at coaching this stuff? It's one thing like on coaching, you know, and, and this is where I get really, really frustrated um, because it is an area that I feel like I do have a little bit of elevated expertise because like Logan Logan played 10 years in the week. So when I talk to Logan about play calling, things like that, when I sound really smart, I'm mostly just regurgitating things that he said, and uh, he's very smart, so I sound really smart, right? Like, there, there's an element to it that I understand on a fundamental level. Like, you don't want to be predictable. I understand personnel groupings and, and trying to create matchups. Like, I understand all this stuff. But if you handed me a play sheet and were like, "Go ahead," I'd be like, "Uh, help," right? What I do understand is learning styles. What I do understand is how to communicate information. What I do understand is how to break through to people and get them ultimately to do the things that you're asking them to do. And I think the lack of consistency across the board on this entire staff makes me question the teaching ability of these coaches. So you talk about these like finer points of Armani Rogers understanding to sit down versus zone or the backs understanding like, you are the guy on this route get the bleep out of the backfield and make yourself available. Like if you understand the concept, if you understand 11-man football, if you understand more than your dot or your X and then your little line of your route on the piece of paper on the install, and you understand the bigger picture because your coach has been able to communicate that to you, you will play with an urgency and an understanding and a nuance that will elevate your game. And everybody doing that elevates an offense Far beyond the talent of speed, strength, all that kind of stuff. And that's something you don't see on offense from this team, and it's something you don't see on defense from this team. You see it in flashes, you see individual players, you'll see Allen and Payne pull off a stunt or a twist or whatever, and you go, okay, those guys really understand how to play with each other and understand what they're trying to accomplish. But how often do you watch this team? And this goes to like the identity piece that everyone's been talking about, all of that you go, they are doing this because they really understand the nuances of how this all comes together. And I don't think that's something that this team has, which makes me then go back to the coaching, not on the traditional, like, oh, they're not motivated, not on the like, oh, the play calling is bad, but the true art of coaching, which is teaching. And I just don't, I, I get the sense without being in the classroom, without being on the practice field, that the messages are not getting
0: through. Yeah, um, and, and you spoke, you spoke really well, and, and I think the the thing when you when you look at the offense and and we kind of talked about it for for a good minute to start this one, but for as bad as the defense has been over these past two weeks and, and one really terrible quarter, um, against the Eagles, uh, Turner, Wentz, and the offensive line has to has to bounce back. And before we like do a well, actually, I guess we can get into it with this question, um, in terms of Wentz and, and the confidence for and in, in your confidence in, in their ability to bounce back, do you think that they can actually do it? Do you have confidence in, in Turner? To, to, to figure out the communication aspect of coaching and, and being able to, to teach what he wants from these guys. Are you confident in Carson Wentz uh, bouncing back or is this who he is in terms of the ups and downs and, and processing parts that that really played a part in into not just some sacks, but also some, some missed reads and missed opportunities. Um, and do you have faith in or confidence in the, the offensive line to really figure things out? Or is this something where uh, it's not just, um, uh, a, a lineup standpoint but it may just be a skill based standpoint or strength and weaknesses standpoint in which uh, they may not be able to overcome what's your confidence level on this side of ball
1: i mean i was going to say it depends on how you define bounce back right like are they going to be yeah. this bad again i have an like, open ended floor is yours yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah like you want to go <laughs> i i i would be surprised if they have any more than one game that looks remotely that bad again especially as bad as the second quarter like one the eagles are really really good and that's also got to be a huge factor here the pressure yeah. they applied the skill level that they have everything every mistake you made gets amplified because the other team's freaking fantastic so that's that's thing one do i have faith that they can fix it in a way that they're consistent week in week out no because that's like carson's almost 30 years old like he's a veteran in the league he is who he is but part of who he is like everyone's focused on the down right now Part of who he is is also the guy that threw for four touchdowns against Jacksonville and can touch every part of the field and you know has these days where he just you know quote Baker Mayfield wakes up feeling dangerous like some days he just he's got it and he sees it yeah. and his footwork is fantastic and the protection will hold up and uh, Scott will be in a great rhythm and and they'll score thirty five points a couple times this year too so that is the nature of it and and I think this is another thing to, to kind of consider as well. This feels so wildly out of control because we've never really had highs this high before. Like when Cousins is on, you don't get the same feeling as when Wentz is on. You know, when Alex Smith was on, you don't get the same feeling as when when Carson is on it. And you're just like, wow, we have that dude. And so the, the dramatic emotional fall off of this feels far more significant because it is. But from a production standpoint... Like yeah, it's gonna be up and down. I think that they're basically a 500 level football team. Depending on how some injury stuff goes, they are super thin defensively, and I can see that you know pushing them below 500. Depending on you know if Trey Turner actually stinks or he's still rusty, like that's that's a a huge thing to watch. Um, Especially now that Schweitzer's had to kick to center, Um, I would if I'm them consider you know one I would consider kicking Cosmi inside and, and playing Cornelius Lucas. Two I would consider. You know, depending on how Nick Martin is coming along as the free agent you just signed kicking Schweitzer back out to right guard but you know they have they have so much more information on that than we do because we don't see practice that um, yeah. it's hard for me to like definitively say but I, I don't think the line will play that bad again um you know but like that's kind of gonna be the ride that we're on this year. They also don't face particularly great teams the next three weeks especially considering Dax out so um, it's gonna be wildly frustrating it's probably going to be inconsistent and up and down. I would assume that there's stuff that Scott figures out that is a little bit more consistent for a couple weeks. And then probably he forgets about it again, because that's who he's been throughout his career as a coordinator. And that's a, that's a pretty frustrating place to be as an analyst and as a fan, but it, it's probably the reality of what we're dealing with uh, for the rest of this year. And frankly, for as long as Ron Rivera is the head coach of the
0: team, because these are the kinds of people that he hires and attracts. Speaking of Ron Craig, um we're three games in to the big year three for Rivera, like the the person who self-imposed the pressure that he applied on himself, like it's all self-imposed. Um, and he has a big game against the Dallas Cowboys in, in a game in which you kind of think about from a, from a, a, a defensive line standpoint, these guys are, are finding ways to the quarterbacks just as, as good as the Philadelphia Eagles are. So you have a, a big game looming against the, the Dallas Cowboys. You can't afford to go one and three, Uh, but for all the things that's that's known about Ron Rivera and all the things known about year three for him, uh, what grade are you giving him and his team uh, so far at this point in the season?
1: I mean, it's probably like a C minus. I mean, for his tenure, probably the same thing. Maybe this year, you know, it's like a D. I mean, here's the thing with Ron, like GM Ron has let down coach Ron. Uh, And I don't think coach Ron is the kind of guy that can overcome or GM Ron. Like all the problems that all of us talked about all off season are rearing their heads. Their linebacker play has been inconsistent, although the last two weeks it's been fine. Like the list of problems is way higher than that. But they the back end stuff is still kind of inconsistent to a mess. Uh, they didn't really do enough to fortify the interior of the defensive line. Um, I do think some of the, you know, like Sweat needs to play better. Um, he's a first round pick etc but like again some of the kind of systemic level things like what would have happened if you had a better defensive line coach the entire off season in this incredibly important year for Montez Sweat instead of firing Sam Mills in the middle of August when you probably should have let moved on in January like these are the kinds of things that, that leave you wondering and scratching your head and then of course on the offensive line their decision to not bring back flowers. Like the, the sheriff thing, like, yeah, having Brandon sheriff would be great, but what Jacksonville paid him, like, see you buddy, have a great time in Florida. Um, you know, but they did choose to go with like older guys that Ron is familiar with. And uh, instead of younger, better players, potentially that would have cost the same or less. Like they had some money at different points in the off season and chose not to spend it. Um, you know, I think that obviously the quarterback situation, like we could go into that and be here for hours. So, I just think that like Ron, like this team is producing kind of what we expected, and that in itself is an indictment of Rivera because the direction it's going feels opposite of the direction it should be going, and the fact that they are constantly reactive instead of proactive on fixing issues um, is how you get behind in the league by nature. You're reacting, not not getting ahead, Um, and, and I think that's kind of what we're seeing. So. The good, the good news for Rivera is his teams typically get better as the season goes. Um, I do think that like all hope is not lost for a playoff spot. They could get hot. Carson could get hot. Things could click. Uh, you know he does have a really good reputation for continuing to hold teams together. So we'll see if that can happen combined with a weaker schedule and, and push them forward. But so far, like you got a lot of people. Uh, in chairs like mine saying like, hey, hey, we talked about this all offseason. Why didn't you fix it? And uh, I, I don't see they they don't seem to even acknowledge that there's a problem. And until we yes. see some some changes on that front, it's hard to imagine things changing, obviously, uh, moving forward. So, you know, C minus D somewhere in there so far this season.
0: Yeah. I, and, and what really stuns me sometimes like you do you watch you watch tape you know you're with you're with logan and he does a good job watching tape uh i i'm i'm in a sense of like i'm looking at norwell and and this is just my personal opinion i'm looking at norwell and trey turner and and i'm looking at these guys like at what year scouting report did they use before they decided to bring them in because it's like i understand that they had accolades before they got in to to washington to 2022 but they don't look nothing like uh uh, above average starters like they look below average and and they're struggling in certain instances like you have uh uh a trade turn on the right side and even sometimes in some instances andrew norwell very slow off the ball in terms of their reach blocks and, and and moving on these zone run plays and you're asking these guys to do this so often and and they're getting they're getting defeated by their blocks like they're not that quick from a lateral standpoint their lateral quickness and i'm i'm struggling looking at it like am i Am I missing something or are these guys like wrong in terms of like bringing these guys in and not choosing other, uh, other potential free agents or other potential suitors from the draft, whatever you want to do. Like I'm sitting here looking at Chris Paul and I'm like, he moves 10 times better than the starters. So I I don't know from a a hand standpoint or or maybe like a, a actual blocking technique standpoint, they're holding Chris Paul back a little bit, but my thing is like the, the holes that you put yourself in, uh, Ron Rivera, uh, and and what you're saying about this whole instance, Craig, like it's hard to avoid the, the mess that he made. And, um, and you're not going to sit here and expect him to say anything. Probably like, Oh, we messed up. But from an accountability standpoint, it has to sometimes go into the coaching aspect. Like I have to do better. Why are you blaming the players? You know what they're capable of, but how do you put them in the best position to win? Uh, now I'm being very, uh, uh, detailed in terms of like the the actual scheme like maybe you can do gap and 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 have them guys operate a little bit differently and and not use their lateral uh, ability so much but i'm just saying like how do you adjust for a team who's really struggling to get anything on the ground game and and struggling against certain certain type of rushers uh to to, uh, to protect carson Wentz? it's just for, for at least that side of the football, you you did well on the defensive side of football as well. So I'm not even going to elaborate on that. But yeah. like, how do you how do you how do you fix these things? And you and it starts, I think, with really being accountable in terms of how do you coach the guys that you brought in because you it's not getting better in the regular season. These are all the things that you should have took care of in the offseason. So now you got to deal with the guys that you brought in.
1: So three things. Let's see if I can remember all three. Uh, one <laughs> one, you're not thirty awesome and available. And that's what both Turner and Norwell were, right? Like if you're 30 and you're awesome as an O-lineman in in the NFL, you're under a long-term contract getting paid a lot of money. Instead, they were both free agents. So that's, you know, that's thing one. Uh, Thing two, a guy like Chris Paul is interesting. And I feel like it's very easy for us on the outside to be like, hey, why aren't you playing him? We saw him flatten guys in training camp and, and the preseason and all this. But the thing you always have to remember, especially with young players, is the mental side of it is what gets them. So, like his technique, his lateral quickness, all that stuff is unquestionably better than Norwell and Turner. Like Chris Paul is a freaky athlete for a guy his size. Strong, but the, but the game is going to be way too fast yep. for him, and the mental mistakes are, are probably what's going to keep him from playing this year. Maybe even next year. You know, maybe he's like the backup, second string next year. But there's a reason that guy's like your third stringer, right? And there's a reason he was a seventh-round pick. And also, by the way, if you watch Tyler Smith in Dallas and all the penalties he picks up as a much higher pick and an even freakier athlete, you'd go, oh, they are at the same school. They they weren't particularly well coached. Whoops. Um, Third and final thing. And this is like why I'm appreciative of being on with you on a podcast where like you can get into this level of detail, but... Think of some of the criticism of the play calling, right? Why don't they run more draws? Why don't they run more screens? Why don't they move the pocket more? Why don't they do all this stuff? The answer sometimes is very simple. They're bad at it. And as a coach, your job is to do stuff you're good at and stay away from stuff you're bad at. And so when you talk about the lateral quickness, you talk about the lack of athleticism, and you talk about all that stuff, especially for a fan base that's used to watching Brandon Sheriff and Trent Williams get out in space. Like, you wonder why they don't run screens? Because Norwell and Turner can't get out there. Like, they're not fast enough. They're not quick enough. They don't hit well in space. I remember talking to Trent about this years ago. He's like, yeah, it's super fun when I make contact, but those little dudes are slippery, and I hate trying to hit them in space. (laughs) He's like, yeah, when I make contact, it's the best feeling in the world. But you know what sucks? Missing. And so it's really hard, because if you're a 330-pound lineman essentially trying to hit a a 195-pound corner in space, like, that dude's just going to juke you, go around you, and make the tackle. And so that is part of the problem is they box themselves in with play call like for as much as they've opened that box with carson because he can touch areas of the field that taylor or alex or anyone that they've had here outside of Dwayne uh couldn't get because of an arm strength standpoint like they box themselves in from an o-line standpoint because they don't have mobile guys they don't have guys that can execute those types of things in space Or like if you're going to move the pocket and a lot of times they'll pull a guard on that kind of protection as you well know. Like if the guard doesn't get there, your quarterback's dead. So you can't afford to do that stuff as much as you might like because of your talent. And this is why talent acquisition, like it's obvious you want good players, but the detailed level of talent acquisition and it being in line with the things you want to do as a football team and the vision you have for your offense, the vision and plan you have for your defense... This is why that disconnect is so damning because it's not just like, oh, we don't have guys that can make plays and do spectacular stuff. It's like we can't even execute basic level stuff and provide ourselves with the answers to the questions we're being asked by an offense or a defense because we don't have the talent to do so. And I think that is like an underscored, under-talked about problem with this team is, yeah, the obvious solutions are there, but they're not actually available because the talent's not good enough.
0: Alright, a couple more questions for you, Craig. Again, I appreciate you for sure. Um, let's let's talk some, some positives before we, we get out here with with some Dallas stuff. Uh what are some things that you're confident in on the offensive side of the football and uh, defensive side of the football? What what are some of those things that you're confident in?
1: I mean, I'm confident that Daron Payne as long as he stays healthy he's going to continue to wreak havoc. And that can help this defense a lot. Like interior pass rushes is, is perhaps the most important thing in the NFL on the defensive side of the ball, because it's straight line to the quarterback. It happens quickly. It makes everything better. And Payne's having a monster year so far. So if he and Allen can continue to play well, if some of these younger guys can step up and give them a little bit more of a reprieve and a rotation standpoint, and I would assume that also eventually adjusts how offensive lines are playing protection and assigning help and chips and all that kind of stuff. And and that could free sweat up a little bit. Like I actually think this defensive line is going to be all right. And I also really loved what John Allen said about like them taking more accountability in their run defense. I do think that that's going to continue to get better. Um, as the year goes and look Jamin Jamin's gotten better every week and so if their linebacker play can continue to to grow um, I do think that that's something defensively that it might not be quite as disastrous I have concerns about the back end but that's we're we're doing the positives right now um (laughs) yeah
0: let's let's go ahead worry about that later (laughs) yeah uh
1: offensively uh offensively like i'm confident that they will have plenty of more productive games like i'm confident that they will figure some of the things we're talking about out like i don't i don't think that norwell and turner are so bad that you like, can't mm-hmm. operate as an offense yeah. um they just have to find the things that they can do well and get to consistently and i do think that a solid week of self-scouting from scott would go a long way which undoubtedly, after you have the kind of game that you you had, you have to do that. Like you you are totally incompetent in a way that Scott Turner absolutely is not. If you don't go back and look and figure out why Philadelphia was all over everything that you did, so I think that Scott will come out with something similar to what he did in Week One, where it's like, okay, let's get crazy. Like I think he's probably going to try to go back to some more of that stuff moving forward. Um, I'm definitely concerned that like he did that in Week One after an entire summer to plan. I'm like, buddy, you only get a week to do this, but. I do, think that he, I do think that he will have a much more effective game plan early against Dallas and, and frankly, in a lot of games moving forward. He'll have some duds, but I, I do have confidence that they can self-scout, figure some of this stuff out, and get back on track uh, by getting Gibson the ball more as a, as a receiver, by trying to get Terry more involved earlier in the games, by getting back to Jahan a little bit earlier. Uh, Curtis has been fantastic, but um, it's got to be more than the Curtis show, and I, I think they know that, and, and they're working on figuring that out.
0: How can Washington pull off the road win against the Dallas Cowboys? Uh,
1: I always—it's funny because Logan and I went through this exercise yesterday on the pod when we were taping it, and he was like, "I hate this. this is such Monday morning quarterback like dumb football analysis." Because it's like, <laughs> all right, they can limit the turnovers and whatever. Because like yeah, all, it's, football it's now, all football analysis is is only so so complicated. But if you can stay out of third downs, right? Like the, the way I would put it against Dallas specifically is this way: make Micah Parsons a middle linebacker, not a pass rusher. So if you stay out of obvious passing situations by being super efficient and effective on first and second down, which again, I understand, no one's trying to suck on first and second down, but you really have to put a priority on first and second down efficacy, making sure that you stay ahead of the chains and stay out of obvious passing situations on third down especially, where Micah Parsons can just pin his ears back and go, that Tank Lawrence can pin his ears back and go, you give yourself a great chance to attack a Dallas back seven, that has talent but is kind of boomer bust right Diggs especially boomer bust you can get some stuff on him and so if they could figure out how to do that running the ball their short quick game stuff getting the ball out of carson's hands letting him get a rhythm that is how you beat dallas and then you know defensively don't do anything dumb cooper rushes their quarterback respect the fact that he's their quarterback and and just keep everything in front of you and be solid
0: Craig man again I truly appreciate this big dog I want to give you the floor now plug anything and everything that you got going on where they can find you where they can see your work where they can hear from you all that good stuff big dog
1: oh man we'd be here forever if I did everything uh (laughs) team 980 three to six every single day it's the Hoffman show Uh, we have a good time we we do do a lot of the stuff that you just heard but we also do a lot of silly stuff and it's a good time uh, take command the podcast with logan uh is every monday wednesday and friday so subscribe anywhere you get your podcast so hit your feed automatically download and you're on your way uh also just as a, as a fun extra plug jamal uh logan actually joined us on our training podcast too i'm a personal trainer in, in, in the side hustle okay. world um and we do a it's called the train with the best podcast uh myself chris gores who used to actually work on the washington staff back in 2012 but is, is an expert in the field and a great friend of mine Uh, shout out to Chris by the way happy birthday uh, to him Uh, happy birthday Chris my my man's turning 40 and I think think he could still run a sub 540 which is crazy Uh, he
0: smoked me me too I'd be like
1: (laughs) (laughs) hamstrings are gone and the whole deal but Logan actually uh, popped on with us this week which is really fun so you can check out The Train With The Best Podcast anywhere you can